welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher here with Tom. Tom, how the heck are you? It's almost Turkey Day. <laughs> yes, when we're recording this, we were recording this the day before Thanksgiving. I've actually already had my Thanksgiving dinner. I did that last weekend with the in-laws. Did that's you? just that's just the weekend that it would work out best for everybody. I just get a nice long relaxing weekend. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh so Looking forward to it. So, so tomorrow is what? What pizza? <laughs> yeah, possibly grilled cheese, grilled something cheese. like that. Yeah, yeah. Whatever's in the fridge. Yeah. Well, historically, I've always done Thanksgiving with my wife's parents, and then like Christmas or whatever with my family. Right. And now, most of my family is either passed away or no longer in town. So we really don't do anything for the holidays. And then with COVID, of course, the last couple of years. So now I just get lots of long weekends. And you know what? I'm fine with that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a terrible problem to have. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's great having someone make a big meal for you. But honestly, I'd rather just sleep in and relax and not worry about it. And like you said, order a pizza or just, you know, hey, there's some leftovers in the fridge. Something like that. That's good. Yeah, no. See, uh, gotta go try to run a 5K, and then uh, it's all day uh, fondue at my friend's house. <laughs> Perfect thing after running. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck with your run. I'm looking forward to hearing the results the next time we we, we speak here on the show. Or reading the obituary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, God, I hope not. Tune in next time when Christopher has to groom another partner. <laughs> don't don't make me find another host. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd rather you that not be the reason why you have to. Well, there is some cool news in the kind of sci-fi entertainment world. Michael and Denise Okuda are going to receive the Art Directors Guild's Lifetime Achievement Award. For those of you not familiar with Michael and Denise Okuda, well, if you've watched any Star Trek shows since, like, Star Trek Next Generation, you've seen their work. Mm-hmm. I got a quote here from the uh, Council Chair Clint Schultz of, of the Scenic Title and Graphic Artists Council. Says the roots of graphic design for film and TV can be easily traced back to Michael and Denise Okuda and their work on the Star Trek franchise. 
Through graphic design, the Okudas added a unique visual language to sets, whether it was through props, signage, or their graphical user interface for playback, also known as Okudagrams. Additionally, their work on Star Trek led to real-world graphic design opportunities and lending their autistic talents to NASA's various space programs. Actually, that last sentence wasn't part of the quote. My apologies. Anyway, but... (laughs) Or no, actually it was. Never mind. Anyway. So yeah, their work... So things like uh, if you're familiar with like the L cars, like in the next generation, the flat panel black displays, I believe that that's them. They're the one that came up with that stuff. And that's the kind of stuff. Honestly, when you look at your iPhone right now, I kind of think feel like you've got them to thank for that interface. <laughs> I'd have to think so. I mean, that, that, that it's kind of funny how someone has to be responsible for that kind of stuff. And it has just integrated itself into society to a point you don't even notice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's ubiquitous. And, um, and because, yeah, the, I mean, t- touchscreen technology and the way that it looked uh, on Star Trek, that was so far ahead of anything that we had at the time. I was going to gonna say, 1988, 89, when we had Next Generation come on the air with the flat panels and you just slide your fingers and that sort of stuff. I'm trying to imagine, we didn't really have anything like that then, did we? No, not really. I mean, GUIs were becoming a thing, but right. not entirely just yet. Yeah, but as far as just the physical interfaces, I know there we had games and computers with the keyboards that were very flush, mm. but they were still, you know, there was still electronics underneath, mm-hmm. or um, if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, um, you, weren't, you weren't up to a touch panel of any kind yet. No. And most of those real flush keyboards or, or control panels sucked, typically, and wore out after about a year. <laughs> right, yeah. So the notion that you could run an entire ship from a, from a single display that by t- tapping in the correct locations would become whatever you needed it to. And then... Right. And then with what they did, obviously... It lent reality to to a lot of it because it wasn't it wasn't the old '60s style Star Trek where everything's just a jewel shaped button that is completely. <laughs> right. I have no idea what that is or what it does or there's no readout to it. I can't actually make heads or tails of how they're actually doing anything. <laughs> when you get to next generation, you can at least, while not every but button push, <laughs> seems reasonable to 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 you it does actually have some logic to it where you're like okay i could see this being a real thing <laughs> right yeah so it's very cool it's, I, I feel like it's a definitely rec- recognition that is well deserved yes. that's all i've got in the news it's the news has been kind of swamped with a lot of real world stuff and so that was like one really big highlight and uh so i just i definitely wanted to bring that out Personally, as far as um, watching or whatever, we've been doing a lot of like, uh, we've kind of been doing spring cleaning in the month of November um, for various reasons. And I've been going around and I'm trying to organize and clean up some shells. And I'm going through like my old DVD and Blu-ray cases and stuff, cleaning out some stuff, trying to make room for other stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I remembered I've got these 
big, massive, uh, like Mill Creek box sets, you know, you know, they're all like public domain and cheap ass <laughs> films, yeah. or whatever. I've had these things for years and I've never cracked the flipping cases. So I finally started going through and just like, okay, I'm going to start watching some of these things. I have to admit, I've actually hit on a couple films that I knew nothing about, never heard of. And they're actually like, okay, that was kind of interesting. Okay. So I, I won't go through all the details and everything right now. But um, if you follow me on any of the socials, go to the, the Instagrams or the, the Twitters or you know the Facebook, um, the Discord server, whatever. I post a little short review of all the films that I'm covering or that I watch. Yeah, there's there's a couple in there that are like, you know, maybe worth checking out if you can find them kind of thing. Very cool. We'll talk about the one I watched most recently because it's it's still fresh in my mind and I remember the name and everything is uh, called Slipstream. Okay, yeah, I saw you post about that one. Uh, this one stars uh, the late, great Bill Paxton, which is honestly one of the highlights of the film. Also has a kind of a role reversal kind of thing for Mark Hamill where he's actually the kind of the bad guy in the film. Cool. Uh, it never got a U.S. release here. It's like a major motion picture, but it never got a U.S. release here. Oh, interesting. Although, I say major motion picture. I think it was still a very modest budget. Sure. You know, it was not like a big budget film or anything. It was... It was interesting. It was a little too long. It it needed... Uh, what was the... When we were talking about the movie last uh, last episode, one of the reviews said it needed a pair of shears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was Slipstream as well. It, it it started slowing down in the middle. It's like one of these films where the first third, I'm like really interested. I'm watching. And then I find myself in like the second third, I've picked up my phone. <laughs> and, I've start, and I realize that, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so, half an hour has gone by and I happen to glance up and oh this actually looks inter interesting and you set their phone down and then you watch the last third of the film <laughs> see you, you, you failed to mention some some stuff about this one too I, I pulled it up out of sheer curiosity while we're talking about it Ben Kingsley's in this yeah yeah that's what I was talking about as far as like major motion picture it, it at least has some pretty big uh they're kind of cameo bits they're not in there long ben kingsley is in the film maybe only a few minutes so don't get your hopes up <laughs> but it has some big interesting names and it's so it made it really an interesting watch just waiting for all these names to finally appear it was described by one reviewer i saw that it's kind of like a road movie but everyone's in airplanes okay <laughs> takes place sometime in the future Earth has suffered a giant, giant ecological disaster. Uh, earthquakes have rendered, you know, the Earth is just, it's, well, it, it's it's a desert and a canyon because that's where they they could film kind of thing. And there's a, uh, a slipstream, a giant windstorm that encircles the world. And so everyone uses planes to get around because that's the fastest, most convenient way because the roads are gone. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. Bill Paxton plays a guy who's just, he's a mercenary kind of maybe bounty hunter. Stumbles across Mark Hamill, who's like supposedly a cop, who's taking the prisoner in. But Bill Paxton decides, I could use that reward money and kidnaps the prisoner. And of course, from there, it's like a, that's where the road movie kind of begins. Because Bill Paxton and his prisoner start bonding 
and becoming friends. Turns out the prisoner is an android. So, of course, you got to... That's where the movie starts slowing down because you got to have the whole, I'm discovering life and emotion. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Wait, you changed direction on this film all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. It changes gear, and when it does, it's a low gear. <laughs> it does shift back up later in the film. It, it's... Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting watch. I, I actually enjoyed it overall, even though, like I said, there was a good section of it where I wasn't paying any attention to it. Then it sounds like it needs to be checked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, I would check it out. But anyway, I'm going to keep going through these from time to time. But like I said, just follow me on all, any of the socials to kind of keep track of the ones, and I'll, uh, I'll let you know if there's anything worth watching or not. That would be cool. Um yeah, because you all, while you disappear into your collection, I, when we finish something as big as our October, uh, I, I slip into all the stuff that I delayed on, on like the streaming services and all that. So, um, mm. like I, I finally caught up with the. I need to do more research. I don't know that it's coming back. Uh, on Netflix, there was the sci-fi um, saga, Another Life. Okay, um, not familiar with it. Um, it stars Sadie, Katie Sackoff. The premise in the series, and this was season two of it, um, the premise is an artifact of some kind has uh, arrived on Earth, uh, and as humanity tries to figure out what it is, where it came from, what it does, um, in the process they start to make contact with this this other race and we are apparently much further along in our space programs so in discovering this uh, we go out to seek them out as well and well it doesn't go well <laughs> so but the second season was really getting into um, more of the dire nature of the relationship as it builds and it was going along very well and then I don't know if it's either been canceled and they just wanted to hurry it up or if they really want to go in another direction and they needed to get there faster. But yeah, it's, mm. it's one of those we're doing some solid storytelling, doing some solid storytelling, and then all of a sudden we're there, we're done, and it's over. <laughs> like, okay, I think I missed something. So I hope it comes back for you. Yeah, because I did find it rather entertaining. Yeah, and I hope it comes back in the right direction, and it it isn't something that gets suddenly retooled in the second season or something like that. I just uh, I just made it to the second season of that uh, Space Hunter or Star Hunter, whatever the show I was talking about last yes. time. Uh, I just made it to the second season of that, and that's where it gets retooled, and I'm watching like the premiere and the second episode, and I'm like. I'm not going to like this, am I? <laughs> Although, I I did look up, just real quick, I did look up a little bit about the uh, whole Redux thing. That was actually done just in, like, 2017, 2018. Oh, wow. I was reading about some of the effort that they went to when they did it. One of the... First of all, of course, they did it completely... They, they remastered from original negatives or whatever, original tapes, and... I did the the restoration or the, did the upscale of all the, of the visual effects and everything. 
But one of the things they also did was in the original airing in like whatever it was, 2000, 2004, in the second season, there's an AI aboard the, uh, the, sh- the, sh- the ship. And in the second season, they didn't have the original actor come back. They changed the appearance of this AI, the hologram version. Um, he's like a floating head sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, and they, they got a different actor to play him. Well, in the Redux, they actually went and got brought back the original actor to film the spots, and they digitally put them in place. And I thought, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> they acknowledge that he looks different because like 15 years passed from the end of the first season to the beginning of the second season. Yeah. So someone comments like, wow, you, you look different. And for a brief second, he looks like the guy that, that replaced him. And then it shifts back into the original actor, but the original actor looks 15 years older. So they kept the age and everything. Gotcha. So I thought, that's cool. And apparently they did that with a lot where they brought back some of the original actors and refilmed uh, scenes and everything to kind of give it more continuity because things were recast and because they were just bit roles and or just flashback scenes or something like that. And I'm like... That's impressive for a series I knew nothing about and almost had never heard of other than this set that I had on my shelf that I could never <laughs> manage to watch. Someone went to a lot of effort. There's apparently, there's got to be a big fan base of this show out there that I'm not aware of. <laughs> and, and now you're the the leader of it. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> While we're sitting here discussing, yeah, I, I really wanted to know. I, I can't... Nobody can say whether or not the show that I just uh, finished season two of is coming back or not. Oh boy, there's it's pending. So, and it 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 was one of those that was really kind of rushed its ending again. So it has that feeling like they got told you might not return, Mm -hmm. and I hate it when they do that. I'd almost rather they go out strong and just never come back than. Then well, rush it. careful what you wish for. There was the series Dark Matter that it wasn't great, but it was interesting enough that I I was watching it. Yeah. You know, it was intriguing enough that I was watching it. And it gets up to the end of its season, and suddenly there's like alien invasion kind of thing coming through portals. And you're like, oh crap, what in the world is going on? And it never returned. <laughs> it got canceled. Didn't so it at like, least make? Ouch! Didn't it make two seasons? I believe it did. Yeah, because I I hung in there for the first season and I just I couldn't get back into it on the second. Second season got a little bit more interesting. There was a lot more kind of political intrigue and the you know, all the characters started branching out a little bit more because they're kind of reclaiming their old lives and this and that. And it got that that's what made it got it a little bit more you know watchable. And then it started building up this whole big thing. And then, yeah, like I said, oh, here's this giant cliffhanger and never going to know what happens. <laughs> okay, well, uh, then there's that. That's that's not something <laughs> I love. Uh, I remember being the same way. It was a series that I started watching, only watched like a couple episodes and never got back into, and then picked back up long after he had been canceled and then watched the whole season. And then at the end of it went, was really pissed that it didn't get renewed. There was that old, uh, defying gravity. Okay. I really wanted more of that. 
And it's like, when knowing that, you know, this isn't an, even a case of, oh, I hope it gets renewed. It's the, I know it was canceled. This was years ago. And now I'm watching it going, no. <laughs> I, I have actually had shows where I, I just collected them on like the DVR at times. And then when I find out they're ne- never coming back, I just never make it through it because it's kind of like, I kind of don't want to put myself in a position to care one way or the other. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. don't I don't want to be disappointed. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, and I don't want to be disappointed either way. I don't want to either find out it it sucked, or I didn't want to find out I really like it and I'm not gonna get any more of it. <laughs> so, right. Which yeah, which is the case I keep finding myself in. Yeah. So occasionally I'll actually take the higher road and let the sleeping dog lie. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> like, all right, that we're just gonna have to move that one on along. <laughs> well, speaking of coming back, you had some news. You told me some news right before we started recording. I did. I did. I did. I did. I, did. I, I literally looked it up shortly before we got on, got started. Um, um, I saw blurbs about uh, the Grand Tour is going to have its Wales special, um, and not to be confused with the sea creature. Whales. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, they did venture out into the water once. so That's true. Um, at any rate, they're going to have a, a, their special coming up. There's going to be a trailer for it in about the next two days. And there's a good, there's a fair to midland chance that might actually be out by Christmas. So Nice, nice. So by the time you hear this, the trailer should be out, people. Yes. So um, for those of you who are a fan of Jeremy Clarkson and gang, uh, I recommend you go check that out. Curious. I kind of want to see what they do. The last special where they was in just in Scotland, we talked about it here on the show. Mm-hmm. I felt like it felt like just a mediocre episode of Top Gear. It, it did, but at least it kind of got a little bit more back to the roots. It didn't feel like, as you were talking before, um, it didn't feel like it was super scripted. Right. Although there are still those moments. Uh, at this stage, they have done this for so long. When they pull a prank on James May... Yeah. You just know everybody already knows that's happening, including James. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of wonder if James May wasn't the one in the writer's room. Hey, what if you guys put a fish in my glove box? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it starts feeling a little disingenuous at that point. They're like, all right, we're not all that stupid. <laughs> Some of it's entertaining, but I mean, we see this coming a mile away, and we know all of you do too. So, yes, yeah. So, but yes, no. I it'll be at least fun to see them back, and I think there there are elements with all of this. They get that at some point. We've talked about this before on the show too. As they moved to the Grand Tour and started doing this stuff, they they could figure out the parts that sucked and they'll, they'll excise them and they as much as called it out going from first season to second season uh, when they had that dumb routine that they were doing right. during the first. So I just got to think at some point, maybe they'll catch on to, okay, you're a little over scripted at this point. I get that you guys are getting older, but, but <laughs> come on. <laughs> 
So either way, I'm Probably. excited. Yeah, uh, it's not like I'm not going to watch it. Right. <laughs> no, as long as I keep putting them out, I'll I'll keep watching them. Yeah. At some point, you know, the three of them are going to be, you know, test driving the latest rascals or something. I I know, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I figure that day is coming. I mean, Jeremy's not far off that mark, and James is older than him. Uh, more power! <laughs> Every now and then I'll catch uh, some James Mays oddity. Uh, like, I caught something where he does these, like, he does food-related stuff, too. Oh, sure. No, I've seen a lot of his little specials and everything like that. And yeah, the... Uh... James May can cook or something like that. Something like that. And I caught a goofy one where I guess it, he, he'll take suggestions on what to make. So on this little YouTube video, he did one for uh, making a peanut butter, banana and bacon sandwich. <laughs> it was okay. just kind of peculiar. <laughs> I like a lot of his specials, though, that James May in Japan. Yes. Um it was really interesting. Uh, James May's Toy Stories was really cool. I liked that series a lot. Yeah. I like that he's the one that's kind of branched out and uh, done something besides just review cars. Well, yeah. Uh, well, and there's some other goofy stuff that's uh, like Hammond. I try to watch. I think Netflix. No, no, no. Prime has this, too. Uh they paired up Richard Hammond with Tori Belacci from Mythbusters to do some sort of island um, survival show, which... Because they figured after all the accidents Hammond's been in, he may be immortal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're testing it. Uh, but yeah, it's talk about a show that seems super forced. Uh they just—I didn't even hear about it. Yeah, um, I, I sat there trying to watch it, and some of what they do is entertaining. But I mean, they don't have chemistry really, and everything that they're being asked to do on the show is entirely like, what, what the hell? <laughs> okay. They—they they were told to make vehicles and race them and stuff, and yeah. So, all right, it was weird. Fair enough. Alrighty, anything else you wanted to bring up? No, I think we actually got more out of that than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, half an hour in. I think it's definitely time to move on. Uh, we'll take a short break. We'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we're going to look at 1968's Danger Diabolic. Okay, you know what it's like. You're flicking through Amazon or the local DVD shop when suddenly you discover a film that you haven't seen in years but which you remember as being legendary. The purchase is hastily made. You invite friends over, make popcorn and settle down to watch this classic. Then it becomes apparent that your mind has double-crossed you and that this film is frankly awful. Soon your friends have deserted you, your boss says he has to let you go and even your dog won't come when you call. How did it go so wrong? Well, in the interests of public harmony, a new podcast I saw that years ago sets out to watch the old films that your memory has convinced you are brilliant, but which in reality could be 
anything but. So join me, your host Martin Darkley, and my compatriot, Gentleman Joe, as we watch the old films so you don't have to. Find us at www.isawthatyearsago.com or on iTunes. Meet Diabolic, a bank Robin Hood who baffles the cops. He robs from the rich to give to the girls. Master sports car racer. Master lover. Ask Eva. She can't get a good night's sleep unless she's covered with money. Diabolic, the absolute gold-plated end. Ask Eva. Danger Diabolic, or just Diabolic, is a 1968 action film directed and co-written by Mario Bava and distributed by Dino De Laurentiis. It is based on an Italian comic series, which, which was created in 1962. In the comic, the titular Diabolic was initially represented as a ruthless and cruel thief who does not hesitate to murder anyone in order to accomplish his deeds, and he's aided by his partner and lover, Ava Kant. Over time, the character evolved and developed ethical principles such as honor, the sense of friendship, gratitude, and respect for noble souls, and turning to Robin in killing other criminals. Throughout his adventures, he is pursued mainly by the Inspector Jinko. Uh, the series sold more than 150 million copies worldwide, becoming one of the best-known and best-selling comic series from Europe. And its success has also inspired the live-action film, a radio show, an animated television series, video games, and novels. And there is a new 2020 film slated to be released in December. Yes. Another diabolic film. Really? It was apparently supposed to come out. It was apparently supposed to come out in 2020, but due to COVID issues in Italy, it was pushed back. And so, hopefully, it'll happen at the end of this year. Interesting. The live-action film we will be discussing stars John Philip Law as Diabolic, Marissa Mel as Ava, and Michelle Piccoli as Jinko. The film follows the exploits of over-the-top thief Diabolic as he carries out several extravagant thefts and heists with Jinko hot on his trail. Crime boss Ralph Valmont, played by Adolfo Seeley, who this is the second time we've seen him in this series. He, of course, was the baddie in uh, Operation Kid Brother, or Double Double O Seven, whichever you want to call it. He turns the entire underworld against Diabolic in hopes of handing him over to the police to save his own skin from Jinko. This movie was a subject of Mystery Science Theater 3000's final experiment in August of 1999 and fittingly brings to a close our own series of MST3K Unrift episodes. Watching the MST version of this, what a weird choice to be the finale. I know. Knowing it was going to be the this was going to be the last one, they picked a, picked a movie that was a bit outrageous, but it's not bad. 
No, I, and I think, yeah, you sum that up very well. I mean, it is not to be taken seriously. It's not everything about it is fantastic, but it is a lot of fun. It is. It is maybe a little too long. <laughs> it feels like it feels like one of those movies where you take a couple episodes of a television series and smash it together to make a film. Yeah, it was well, it, since this is about Diabolic and he is our anti-hero, he's he's the bad guy you root for. Um Right. Uh he is pulling off these elaborate heists and it felt like they tried really hard to make sure that we got three big heists in the film. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to set them all up. So to get the that, it just kind of takes longer than the, than the movie probably needed to be. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what I mean. You could have taken each of those heists and that could have been an episode the, of the a TV series. An episode, yeah. And then you just stitch it together and... There you go. You got your movie. Uh, no, this was actually a lot of fun. Boy, did they have to cut a lot out of this one to fit it into the MST. Because this runs over an hour and 40 minutes, I believe. Uh, yeah, hour 45. Right. So they had to trim it down to fit within their two-hour block. Well, hour and a half yeah. block and have all their bumpers. So I think a good 40 minutes of this film got excised for MST. But to that point, um, since we're already saying this film was probably a little longer than it needed to be, I think they actually still managed during their quipping um, to have the heart of the film with while trimming out some of the fat. <laughs> they did. There are a couple things that end up getting cut that don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, it, like scenes that follow mm -hmm. need some of the stuff that came before because suddenly, Oh look, diabolic's dead. And the next thing you know, he he's alive with almost, you know, he wakes up in the, uh, at the autopsy room. Yes. And then the police, the next scene you see is the police chief going, Oh, well, yeah, this is Belmont's, uh, papers. He was deceased and he was shot. And Oh, wait a minute. And he runs off and like, really that, wait a minute. So he knows he's, back alive <laughs> yeah. i mean they, they no reaction they here yeah 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 those are the kind of things where they cut where you wonder did they cut it just because that's where they needed to cut it or did they cut it because oh that makes this film wor look bad or look worse than it is that's one where you almost kind of want to sit down with the crew uh when they're doing that uh i know you need to edit for time but uh yeah that that that's always a question I've had with some of them, and it's actually part of what's led us to even doing this this year to watch them unrift. Is we know that they're doing that, um, and we know a lot of it is for time, but we do know they're probably doing this to kind of it, it'll edge them enough into the well. Now this movie is ridiculous because it doesn't entirely make sense. So right because they cut out that that one connecting thread that put this scene and this scene together that makes sense. Whereas now you, you eliminate that and suddenly it's ridiculous. What in the world? He just comes out of nowhere. That kind of Which thing. Which makes you question some of the times where they actually call out an odd jump cut 
is it really a, a bad jump cut or is this something you artificially generated? I don't know what that does for my opinion of MST. <laughs> Are they really clever or should I be mad? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, to their credit, like in this case, uh, it's not like they called out where the edit was specifically. Right. So in this, uh, it was it in every single one. I will. I won't dare to say that they didn't do some of the things, some of the damage to the movies in order to make fun of them. But in this case, I don't think that happened with this one. No. No. Well, I even noticed, too, watching the uh, the MST is the quips were pretty kind of tame and mm-hmm. mediocre. I mean, it really felt like they're almost bored watching the film. Like, they really didn't have all that much to say. And I think that kind of happens when you've got a film that's actually pretty damn enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, and it, even some of their comments as they go, I mean, they, they were very fond of the pretty, the pretty women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all that. Um, actually, they, they didn't even pick on some of the stuff that I thought that they could because uh, while I was watching it unriffed, I had even texted you because there's this fabulous scene where Adolfo is on his boat. I I, I can't. I, I never get over the fact. I keep uh, wanting to call say that he played Blofeld. He played Largo in the uh, yes in, in, in the Bond film, but. Uh, Otherwise, a Bond baddie who just goes on to play other baddies just like he did for Bond. Um, but the thing that really weirded me out with this scene is so he's on this lavish boat. He's got his beautiful women. He's having an argument with all the guys in his syndicate because they're all uh, either terrified of the law or diabolic. And as he's talking with them... There's a boat incoming and it blows its horn. That doesn't actually go anywhere. We don't. The boat doesn't approach them and we don't know anything about what happens with that. But he continues to move about the ship. In fact, he heads to the bridge and he goes to make a phone call. There's no sound (laughs) at all on board this ship. There's no sound of a motor. There's no sea noises. There's no nothing. <laughs> I'm like, this is the quietest damn ship. Uh, well, they're supposed to be anchors, so I can see why there's no motor sound. I thought there was water nope. lapping when they were outside, nope. but maybe I was wrong. You're just so used to seeing them with the bombastic music of uh, Operation Kid Brother, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and, and that was the th- maybe that's it. The, the the fact that they didn't layer in any other kind of noise whatsoever, and I get that they wanted to concentrate on his phone call because he's ma- this is the big deal that he is cutting between him and, and Genko, um, so or Jenko. <laughs> it's Jenko. Jenko. Yeah. Genko is a leaf. But he's trying to cut the big deal, so I know we need to concentrate on this particular phone call, but no ambient noise whatsoever. I'm like, it's weirding me out. At least turn up the music or something. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I could I could see that, especially in this film, because this film, the music plays such a big mm. part of all the other transition moments. Anytime you see anyone moving across the screen, there's almost always a soundtrack accompanying these. <laughs> and, and quite the soundtrack it is. <laughs> is actually one of those soundtracks where you're kind of like was this ever on dvd or on cd <laughs> can i get this soundtrack it, it it's both good and terrible all at the same time though <laughs> um because it's over the top it, it is completely over the top and, and it's it, it's very much 60s it is very 60s and there's and that is not a derogatory it is full on psychedelic 60s and it works. It's just kind of funny when they all bring in the campier versions of the music at spots you think that should maybe be a little more serious. <laughs> like, we're we're in the middle of a really serious action sequence here, and we're like, bop, ba da ba da ba It's like, wait. <laughs> bring it down a notch. Let's serious it up a little bit. I didn't know anything about the comics that it was based I, on. Yeah, no, until you said it, I didn't know and, that was a thing. And learning that, everything makes so much more sense now. The The aesthetic of this film suddenly makes so much sense. Earlier today, I actually described this to somebody uh, when talking about us doing the show. This is if Batman were Catwoman. Yes, I can see that, yeah, believe it or not. I, yeah, Batman, he's got his lair, he's got his gadgets, he's got his cars, but he's a thief. <laughs> I didn't even know there was any comic involved in this, so I love that, that that's the, how I saw it. Yeah, but everything with the uh, the music, the color mm -hmm. of everything, the uh, the over-the-top, the, the ridiculously giant, you know, underground lair, um, the over-the-top extravagant... Uh, heists and and everything it's like yes this is exactly the kind of thing you would see in a comic book and so this makes complete sense this is right there along i i kind of um as soon as i saw that and i'm thinking about it and everything like this is like the level of like tank girl yeah that kind of extreme 
uh, surrealness about it. Um, and actually, and from the campier stuff, I, I mean, I see elements of uh, the old Batman TV series in some of this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Coloration. Yeah, absolutely. Transition. Just kind of the overall vibe. No, that's actually not a bad comparison at all. But since we're uh, we're on the comic book thing, and I, I, I've mentioned the lair, what about that lair? <laughs> I do like jumping back to the MST. They did make a good point. Is like you know, it's really hard to find contractors that will agree to the you know sign in the the non disclosure on pain of death thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's the latest and greatest that people like to talk about Batman in general is there's just no way that uh, somebody could build all of that all by themselves with an old doddering right. fool for, <laughs> for a, uh, a companion. So um, yeah, in this case you have possibly one of the world's greatest thieves and clearly he's made enough in uh, his stuff to build the most elaborate cave lair that anyone has ever seen, including the rotating bed for which you can throw your bajillions of dollars that you just stole and have sex yeah. in. <laughs> yes, yeah. Speaking of Blofeld, <laughs> Spectre's got nothing on this guy. No, no. Was, uh, <laughs> in fact, if anything, uh, Spectre was like, "Oh yeah, I I want to do that." <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at Spectre's underground volcano launching, you know, missile launching site and thinking that's Diabolic's summer home. Right. You know, he's letting him, he's time sharing. <laughs> Spectre's time sharing that from Diabolic. Yeah, that, that's his garage and storage facility. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's stuff I'm done with. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, that lair uh, and is very super sixties. Uh, so, uh, it's got uh, the 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 his and her showers with the properly placed film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just placed just right so you can't see the good stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the the posh spiraling bed that <laughs> that they were on the. Um, and I was trying to wrap my head around it since I did watch the uh, Mystery Science Theater and then I watched the uh, the uh, Unrift film. Uh, they did do the see they did capture the sequence after the first heist is complete uh, and they're pulling into the lair. And this mm -hmm. is a very lengthy process pulling into the lair, um, where it involves the car not only driving into the to the underground cave, but then it has to drive into an elevator that will now take it lower into the underground cave, where then it will go to a spot where he lets Ava out, and she begins to walk up into the space capsule living accommodations. To have a trail, yes. Yeah, to have a trail. <laughs> So that he can pull around the car to the uh, the safe, I, I assume that's what that was. Um, yeah, it needs to be driven to <laughs> like like it, just the whole layout of the place just weirds you out the, if you try to wrap your head around it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and unfortunately, I tried to wrap my head around it, and it was bugging me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I could, like I couldn't conceive, like uh, that whole sequence was entertaining, anyways, because this is a, this is the thief reveling in his in his accomplishment. It, 
the opulence the of what opulence he's accomplished. The opulence of the moment yes. he is, he has, he has confounded the police. He has kept. He's taken the money. He's gotten away scot free. He's with his gorgeous partner. Um, she's going up to get a shower. Well, he's going to put the money away and then obviously decides, you know what? We're not going to put it away. We're going to go have sex in it. So uh, <laughs> uh, of all the things to do, why not? But uh, just how he, they move around in the space was just really kind of bugging me. <laughs> like, how big is this place? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the actors. John Philip Law, who's an American actor playing the Italian anti-hero here diabolic as you do what an what an interesting looking individual yes the most so it's just odd is the only way i can think to describe him well he he's haunting um uh well and as we discussed earlier he, he he's a very european american uh <laughs> Because he's he's tall and he's thin, but he's fit, but he's not, <laughs> and he's good looking, but it's it's really the eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's not a uh, he's good looking, but he's not like a conventional attractive. No. You're like kind of drawn to him, but you you'll never know exactly why. <laughs> and, and, and and he comes off uh he comes off robotic like. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what he wants to portray. Like, all of his movements are very thought out and very rigid in most cases. Like, uh, I'm thinking of a the sequence where they're literally standing with all law enforcement as they're going to... They're playing a prank on them with the, uh, the gas. Um, right. And he is just upright, tall, and moving around very measured. Uh, during mm -hmm. the entire sequence and with sunglasses on. It was very Terminator-esque. <laughs> he, um, there's actually, he's almost choreographed, is how I would describe mm -hmm. it, through the entire film. And there are moments when he and uh, Marissa Mel as Ava, they're, they're definitely choreographed, and it works so beautifully. There's a scene where he wakes up. Uh, he She's actually gave him a sleeping pill so he could sleep. Mm -hmm. And then he wakes up and there's like an alarm. He's like, oh, there's something I want to see. And he puts his arm over her head and they both do this simultaneous sort of half somersault turn mm -hmm. that puts them perfectly on opposite directions so they're laying out so they can watch the TV. It's it's like a dance move. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, who thought of that? Because... <laughs> That was that. That wasn't something that they just said. Oh, let's do this. No, someone had to come in and like they literally that was choreographed and it worked so well. It, it did, uh, and and actually that's a that's an interesting thing that you point out because uh, not that it wasn't carried through, but um, what becomes clear I, like I, I, I this is one of those where I kind of want more um, because. Ava and Diabolic are essentially a, aside from their obvious love for one another, they're a well-oiled machine. Like, they are a full partnership. She's not just his girl. Um, right. She is instrumental to pulling off these heists as, as much as he is. So, 
doing something like that is just a, li- a little emulation of just how in sync they are when they're doing these things. Because yes. we don't get a whole lot of... Uh, the, only one of the heists do we actually see them kind of doing the pre-work. Because um, that's the, the thing. If you were to do any of these things, like, for real... Um, <laughs> The amount of the amount of hours and hours and hours it would take to just get ready to do them, um, they gave they hinted at that, but the that kind of little subtle sequence suggests that they are in sync on all things, so they can work together like this. There's a couple moments like that between the two mm-hmm. of them, or just individually, where it just yeah, it's like watching a dance. Mm-hmm. Even though there's well, there's it's often music, but it's not <laughs> that's not what they're dancing to. So it was very, it was really cool, and I just yeah, I really liked him in this. I liked how measured, as you put it, he was in certain in moments. But then suddenly there'd be like that moment where he's um he's outside of the car and he goes to get back in the car and he does that somersault over the hood, mm-hmm. and it's almost like a a, a childlike you know excitement mm-hmm. you know out of nowhere and you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna accept it i like it <laughs> <laughs> well you can't do what he he's doing without the adrenaline rush and <laughs> <laughs> that was very cool i just i really liked him and i liked the way they directed him and i liked the way they choreographed him i think they he was just it was just perfect so entertaining to watch. Marissa Mel as Ava. I we were texting and everything, and I, I said, you know, if nothing else, whether you like this film or not, she is awfully easy on the eyes. Uh, yeah, she, she is one of the most beautiful women I've seen on cinema or in cinema. I think ever. Something about her. I well, there's a lot of something about her, but no. <laughs> She is, I mean, there's lots of beautiful women that have been in film, but yeah, she is just mesmerizing when she's on screen. You can't take your eyes off of her. Well, and, and with a lot of that, it, it, that they, they easily hired these two, if only for their eyes. Um, the way that they look at each other, the way that they look at the camera, um, you just can't help but get drawn in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would, apparently wasn't the first choice. They had hired someone else, uh, Catherine Deneuve, maybe, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the chemistry between her and John Philip Law wasn't working. And then they, they brought in uh, Marissa. And she obviously had, you, you, it carries, you could tell there was definitely chemistry between these two actors. Because that carries through. And you can see it, it that chemistry carries through to their characters. Without that sound and kind of creepy too, they seem like they're cut from one another. Like they yeah. they have similar forms, even like they're both they're both very uh, long and, and lean, um, mm-hmm. which kind of just carries into that. They're like an acrobatic team without the acrobats. <laughs> Or sometimes, and sometimes with. with, but yeah, I mean they they didn't do anything truly uh, dramatic, but yes, uh, the, the the tumble sequence in the bed and all that, uh, yeah, no, they move fluidly and together like they 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 were some, they've always done it. 
I think another reason this movie really works is you've got characters like these two that are very, and I don't mean this derogatory, but in, in relation to how it was based on a comic, you have these two characters that are kind of cartoonish. Yeah. And you offset them with someone like Michelle Piccoli as Jinko, who is very down-to-earth, real. This seems like any cop from any drama you've ever watched. And I love that um, yin and yang with the with the, the with the actors and the characters. He also provided that kind of anchor for things because uh, especially in this over the top world that they live in. Uh, by the way, I believe the country that this took place in was was Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. I can't escape not having that conversation. At no point in this movie do we ever actually know where we are. Yeah, it's a good point. Because they, they, yeah, they spend or they steal millions of dollars. But, but this oh, all wait, seems to fall under the same organization hunting them. Yeah, but I'm just trying to think, what side did they drive on? They drove on the left side, though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah. All the Jaguars, anyway, I'm almost positive, were all left-hand drive. Yeah. Yeah, all the cars were left-hand drive. That is so weird. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. This is so European, and yet we have an American actor and well, and, and, and cars that are left-hand drive. But it's obviously Europe. <laughs> I think that kind of adds to the whole... Um, this isn't real. You know, this isn't the real world. Uh, it adds to that sort of um, ethereal nature of the whole thing. I mean, it. where is it? Everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it takes that old uh, that old comic book uh, twist. Uh, like in D.C., there's Gotham and, and Metropolis. Yeah, yeah, Are those it's real places? It's not New York. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's not New York. It's Gotham. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, it... It, it's not England or Italy or or France. It's Europe. Yes, <laughs> the country of Europe. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because I mean, uh, we don't ever get that sense like the third caper um, going after the, <laughs> and, the giant. And, and this only comes from a comic book, anyways. The notion that you'll take your country's gold. And I'll melt all of it down into a single ingot. <laughs> a single 20-ton block of gold. <laughs> and, yes. and this is how you're going to get it out of the country so that you can... Because uh, apparently uh, um, it, it's all gone to hell. Uh, and because they've now upset Diabolic, he's like... He blew up buildings. That was kind of out of nowhere. Well, no, it wasn't out of nowhere because they announced, and this is what another big chop from MST is in the unriffed version. They they put out a million dollar reward right. for Diabolic. So Diabolic goes, well, you won't be able to pay it if you don't have any money. So he just he destroys all of the internal revenue services. <laughs> so no one can pay their taxes. So the government doesn't have any money to pay the reward. Right. But uh, where, where I go come from with the out of nowhere is it, that's the move. That's not quite in the style of the character. Yeah. I, yeah, I took a little issue with that one. Cause you're thinking, well, that's like, 
possibly hundreds of deaths right. at and, his hand, and, too. And of co- completely innocent people. It's one thing when he's battling one-on-one with the, the police force and all of that. But, uh, or other underworld yeah. criminals. Yeah. But yeah, now now he's brought civilians into it. Now he's gone from um, international thief to to terrorist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Public enemy number one. That part. That's where I'm saying is, is it, it that took me. Even though they really glossed over that super quick, like he you saw the fake buildings blow up <laughs> and. <laughs> Very, very fake buildings blow up. Yeah, I've I've seen more realistic realistic buildings in Godzilla movies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you you get this sequence that that happens very quickly. It's unclear what has fully happened, other than he's destroyed the facilities. But I mean, it it doesn't feel like him at that point. So, and, and that was actually one of the things I was thinking along the lines is actually the first time I actually saw him kill somebody in the uh, in the movie I'm kind of like ah I kind of I kind of wanted him to be the uh, the squeaky clean um, thief the one that that was not the line that he crossed because mm-hmm. I kind of like that whole he, he was gonna be more about honor about I'm in it for the thrill of the chase and, and of course the money but but right. I'm not looking to actually hurt people. So right, but then he but then he kills half a dozen innocent police officers that are just doing their job patrolling the beach or yeah, and in some of their cases, not even necessarily <laughs> like you could have probably snuck around that guy. You didn't need to throw a knife into his throat. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You could could have knocked him out. Yeah, especially with this guy with these kind of resources, he doesn't have like you know the the gas gun right. that would stun him or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I became I mean I could still kind of enjoy it, but uh, but I was I got a little dis disillusioned. I kind of wanted him to be that guy that 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 one I'm above it all kind of. Yeah, I need yeah. to lower myself to hurting people because I'm so good that <laughs> that I can get away with any of this scot free. So right, yeah, yeah. You wanted someone that in the end you could say. Well, I'm glad he got away. Now, Even though you, our you country is that. destitute. <laughs> right. The country's yeah. The country's destitute, but now now he's an actual not only is he a thief, he's a murderer. You know, like mm. and possibly a murderer of hundreds of innocents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's completed huge acts of terror against society. Like Yes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> now now I'm not so into you, dude. <laughs> Right, yeah. Now I don't want a sequel. Now you ruined it for me. <laughs> okay, I won't go that far. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'm very curious to see what they, what direction they take this 2021 film. I know. I mean, I guess it's filmed and ready to be released. Now it's just a matter of time, you know, of actual putting it out. So, man, I hope they put it out, and I hope it's something that can get here in the States rather quickly now that I know it's happening. And, and we'll get into this because I actually did manage to find a review for this one. Um, but Yeah, please do. But 
Okay, we'll kind of go into that now, because uh, I actually found something from Roger Ebert from December 4th of 1968. Um, Sweet. Yeah, uh, and he's heavily drawing on the fact that the Dino De Laurentiis um, was involved in this and the Barbarella film. So mm-hmm. his quote right out of the gate is, although uh, re- referencing Diabolic, although it's too long and eventually loses track of itself, danger diabolic is very nearly the movie that barbarella should have been meaning that barbarella was the one uh with bigger names uh bigger audience and a bigger budget but diabolic does what it set out to do way better than than barbarella ever did so. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like that. Uh, we were talking before we started recording. Barbarella is one of those films that I've know I went to try and watch it a couple times, but for reasons I don't recall, never finished it. So I've never seen Barbarella all the way through. Yeah, no, I can't say that I have either. It is. I I did look. It is available on Prime. So there's really no excuse for me to not try at some point <laughs> to get through it. No, and seeing as how they're kind of cut from the same cloth, and in this right. case, uh, John Philip Law is in both. Um, right, yeah. Uh, I kind of kind of want to check it out again. Yeah, I kind of want to revisit that, see what, uh, see if uh, I, he has any more luster than I remember the last time. But um, there's an estimated budget for this movie of about $400,000, and I think it may use of every penny of it because i mean the production is really super solid on this oh absolutely i would have expected that kind of budget just on the matte paintings alone when it came to like his lair <laughs> the lighting i mean that looked, alone of the, of yeah. the layer. I, I was reading about that that whole when they do the shot where the the jaguar comes through the garage and you see the his lair in the background and everything it looks like a physical structure mm-hmm. That's all like matte and miniature work. I'm like, okay, impressive as hell. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there, there's nothing about this film. It, it, it's visually appealing. It, it's fun. It, it, the, the, the comic book thing is, it, it is an extra little nice little dig. It actually gives it credibility to be as fantastical as it is. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, had there not been a comic book prior to this, you would wonder what, who was smoking what when they came up with this thing. And since 68, uh, they could be any number of things. <laughs> yeah, uh, very good point. <laughs> As, yeah, because there was actually one sequence where I guess they're at, they're, they're in a club um, of some kind. And for a yes. second, I'm like, when did Diabolic throw a party? <laughs> Because right. you, the look of the place is very similar to his own uh, underground lair. That and, and I'm certain they're almost identical sets that they've just moved around some stuff and and uh, possibly put it put in some new lights and some new uh, furniture. But yeah, it it's it suddenly looked like a scene from Austin Powers. Yeah, it very much <laughs> did. Uh, uh, at any moment, you are kind of waiting for for Austin to walk out and just see him in the corner. Movie, baby. <laughs> yeah, no, everything about this just is so... It, it's just... It's that. It, it's cool. Yeah, I actually really um, ended up 
really enjoying this. And actually, the more I talk about it, the more I realize how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, like I could actually see myself very easily sitting down and just watching it again because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, like, as I said before, if nothing else, for no other reason. <laughs> for Ava. <laughs> Ava. <laughs> yeah, and, and the the various 60s fashions that they put her in, I mean, your opening introduction to Ava when she's in the car with uh, Diabolic and she's in this very... Barely there, red. No, 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 no. It wasn't the red. It was the white. It was the oh. It was the white. In fact, that was kind of the fun part with their first introduction as they're they're stealing the money, um, because he's in all black and he's driving the black Jag. She's in all white and she's white driving the white Jag. <laughs> right. Um, of course. But the the white outfit that she's wearing that is just. Barely covering the parts that uh, <laughs> that keep it from being an R-rated film. <laughs> That's something I point out too. Is yeah, there is a lot of almost nudity. Yes, and it, it's kind of surprising it didn't just go ahead and take that next step. I'm glad it didn't. I like the tease of like the '60s of these of this genre of film. It's a little bit just like a like the Bond films. You know, you never really see anyone naked in a Bond right. film, but it's always almost. It was it's it, it's always that. Did I just? And with Marissa, you, you got a lot of side boob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> because half of her clothing just wore that way. And, and right. of course, this is the era of the no bra. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that, that there was a lot of that. But, yes, no, I think that's part of what they were going for, too, especially when you, you, you've you got the actors that come from Bond films. I think they really are. They're going for that vibe. We're going to go up to that line, but not across it. Even when they're killing people, uh, we're going to go up to that line, but, I mean, you're not going to see anything. And like uh, Crow so eloquently put, if he had stolen just a little less money, we'd be able to see her butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that money moved in just the right ways, didn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, she pretty much had a uh, a million dollar panty. <laughs> pretty much, yes. Now, do we want to discuss more about uh, the fact that this was the final episode? Yeah, yeah, Science we should get State. back just the final MST. Yeah. Well, I alluded to it earlier. It it seems like a very mediocre end to this series. I mean, it had been gone for what nine years. Yeah, and and they end not with a bang but a whimper. I mean, it, it just it it truly felt like it wasn't a case of okay, this is going to be it. So you know, pull the gloves off and let's really go at it. It's kind of like oh well, I guess we're done. Let's just. Um, get this one done and we can go home well and even the stuff that they did um the skit work that they were doing literally uh packing up (laughs) i mean they weren't trying it didn't feel like it didn't feel like saying goodbye and it didn't feel like trying to be funny it just felt like okay we're done we're moving on the only thing that um i did kind of like uh is at the very end so 
uh, at the risk of spoiling it, uh, the satellite of love <laughs> does go return to Earth. Mike and Crow and Tom apparently are getting a, an efficiency apartment together. Because <laughs> they didn't buy into Gypsy's uh, corporation stock at, right, yeah. you know, when, when, she, when she offered it. Yeah, G- Gypsy's doing apparently just fine. Uh, but but Tom and Crow and Mike are forced to live into a small apartment together. And, of course, what are they doing for their evening? They're about to sit down to a, a, a shitty movie, um, but they're sitting down to The Crawling Eye, the right. first film. So, the first film. So I, I think that's sort of appropriate, too. Wasn't the first MST3K Unrift we did, The Crawling it Eye? Really, it was, yes. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully our our take isn't quite as uh, a letdown as theirs was, but uh, I did. Oh, we, well, we both enjoyed the, the Trollenberg Terror or the Crawling Eye. We actually enjoyed it for what it was. We did, so yes. No, that... I, 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 I like that we can kind of bookend our, our series with two films that are actually very watchable. Who knows? Maybe that that was part of uh, what the crew was involved in, too. Like, yeah, they're quipping on all of these movies, and... And, and let's be frank, we can do that with any movie. No movie is perfect or above being made fun of in some capacity. I mean, especially sure. when we talk about anything fictional, um, you're, you're going to have room for the ridiculous because you have to suspend disbelief long enough to put up with it. But if you try to bring yourself back to reality, you can make fun of some of this stuff. So... Um, so, yeah, maybe that's was part of what they were doing, too, is they did have a few actually entertaining films that when you were in those moments where you were watching it, it didn't make it tedious. But yeah, other than that, I don't have really other any other um, thoughts on the, the MST. I just thought it was it was an OK episode. Yeah, it, it wasn't a bad episode. It just it wasn't a good it wasn't a great episode. It was it was fine. It just it was an odd for 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 a finale. It just felt a little left me wanting. Yeah, it didn't have any really standout laugh moments, and and because it is the end, it's kind of it's kind of sad to see it go. Because um, I mean, we had we kind of grew up with some of that. Uh, it, it was kind of hard to see it go out that way. I I actually thought you know watching them in the uh, in the show sit down at the end and watch a movie the the three of them mm-hmm. you know you got tom mike and, and and crow there i felt like it was uh truly foreshadowing to what was going to come because no more than just a few years later after they've all gone off and wrote a couple books or something like that and tried to do other things they form rift tracks yeah <laughs> and, and it's literally those three we we lose yes. the robot but now it's Kevin and, and Bill and Mike, and, and they're all, that's what they do now. They sit on a couch and make fun of a movie together. So, yeah, I, I saw that as very prescient of the, uh, of the show, of the future of the, uh, of the cast member there. We're in agreement that Danger Diabolic is absolutely watchable Unrift. Very entertaining. So, I mean, like, I literally encourage you to go out and watch it. I mean, it, I, it's as much fun as anything as you're going to watch right now. It did not reach Danger Death Ray levels for me. 
I still enjoy Danger Death Race so much more. That is such a fun film for me. This one, though, I, I'm going to say, you know, if I had like five fun, weird-ass films, this might be in, in the top five. Certainly within the top ten. See, now, uh, I will contradict you slightly. Uh, uh, for Mystery Science Theater, Danger Death Ray every single time. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely over this this particular episode. But as a movie, I, I'll, I'll take Diabolic you're, over you're Danger Diabolic? Death Ray. You're taking Diabolic? All right, we've, we've chosen our sides. That's fine. Uh, I, I've chosen the side of evil. You can... Uh, <laughs> You can use your death ray for peaceful purposes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then Diabolic will try to steal it from you, though. That's true. Well, I think that's going to do it for Danger Diabolic, unless you, there's anything else you wanted to say. We're actually going a little long on this episode. I, I, we're going a lot longer than I thought we would on this. Well, you know, when we get those ones, those little gems that we we like. I mean, it's a, it's it, it's fun to talk about. It is a fun film to sit there, watch and you'll have tons to talk about with friends if you watch this film. Well, we're going to end the year with one final made-for-TV event. We're going to look at the film Babes in Toyland, and not only are we going to watch Babes in Toyland, we're going to have a special guest, my good friend and fellow podcast host over from my sister podcast, Orphan Entertainment. Lydia is going to join us for that episode. I'm really excited. I think that's going to be a fun time. Fair warning. Apparently there will be singing. <laughs> In a movie called Babes for Toyland? How dare you? Uh, should we be clear on which babes in Toyland are we watching? But the singing will be done by Lydia. That's what I'll... <laughs> just oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I thought we were referring to uh, uh, the fact that uh, it wasn't Babes in Toyland. There, there's the Annette Funicello version of Babes in Toyland, too, right? Maybe there is. I don't know. I, see, that's always the one, but we're watching one with Keanu Reeves in it. Keanu Reeves and, and a very young Drew Barrymore. Yes, so... But uh, yes, it is a musical, and Lydia loves it, and she's already, as soon as I mentioned it, she started singing songs from it, so yeah, we've got that to look forward to. That's awesome. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this possibly your first full crossover episode? This will be the first time that I have joined uh, my two podcasts together with bringing all the hosts together, yeah. so And it becomes a two-part crossover special <laughs> it is a little bit because if you stick with us and go and listen to orphan entertainment uh the following month you'll hear tom on there as we discuss weirdly enough it's sort of an mst3k unrift because <laughs> we're gonna look at the crazy i'm pretty sure it's a roger corman uh we're gonna look at the giant leeches <laughs> it all comes full circle <laughs> It's going to be an, a wacky end and beginning of the year uh, for, for me. Uh, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Keep posted to all the socials and everything to, for that and to follow us to find out when and uh, share in the enjoyment that the three of us will have. But for this, uh, I guess we'll just end with go watch Diabolic. It's a lot of fun. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. See you.
Love! 